0: Maybe just to start off, would you like to talk to your background as an industrial designer and maybe what inspired you to take the career path as an industrial designer?
1: Sure. So I'm an industrial designer based in San Francisco. I have over a decade of experience in designing technology products with many innovative companies around Silicon Valley and elsewhere in the world. I um, I was previously a partner at one of the top design studios in Silicon Valley called Bold Design. And you might know them for work such as the Nest thermostat, GoPro cameras, and Roku streaming devices. Um, I recently, as of last year, left that company and uh, decided to go independent. And as of last year, I've been operating independently as an industrial designer, um, continuing to work in the technology space. Um, In the past 10 years, I've done lots of different kinds of products, some consumer, some enterprise products, some robotics, food technology, really all over the place. So So my interest... Yeah, my interest is mainly in technology products, and I really think that the uh, thoughtful use of technology can really improve and benefit people's lives. Um, your other question was, um,
0: what inspired how, you just to, to become an industrial designer? Yeah, so
1: I. I actually grew up in Hong Kong, and I went to a school that followed the British curriculum. I went to an international English school, and uh, I was lucky enough that as part of that curriculum, they have a subject called design and technology. And uh, I had some great teachers. I was exposed to the idea of being an industrial designer pretty young. I think a lot of people uh aren't so fortunate they they only find out about it before college or after college sometimes so i found out about it when i was like 15 or something mm-hmm. and when i found out that there was a job where you could draw and make models and you know design things and make things um that was kind of it there was mm-hmm. there was no turning back for me yeah
0: yeah, it's funny. I had a similar experience. We have a, a a version of um that subject in Australia called graphics. Well, I think it's called something different now, but and it's basically just like graphic design, industrial design, um, architectural that kind of stuff combined. And of all the subjects at school, I think that was the one I liked the most, and that was kind of what took me down that path. But yeah, it's it's funny how at a school level you can really get that taste for design if you have the if you have the foundation.
1: Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think it's an important subject for. Uh, for kids to get exposed to, so that yeah. they have um, some idea of the potential of a creative career path.
0: Mm, yeah, definitely uh, what are the what are the most significant projects you've worked on in your career? um, what are the, some of the biggest challenges you have faced during these projects?
1: Um some of the most significant projects, I would say are I worked on a um, a computational camera called the Light L16. It was a camera with 16 small lenses in it that could create a picture that was very high quality and also it captured 3D data so that you could do some post-processing adjustment. And, uh, this was before most phones had like two or three cameras in them. So this technology was really quite new but the concept is very similar it's mm. you know using more cameras to capture more data, data huh? so that was one of the most technically complex projects that i've ever worked on and lots of challenges from you know how to cram all of that stuff inside a housing that was still an acceptable size and balancing the engineering requirements with the aesthetics mm. Trying to make it, you know, trying to make sure that I was working with the engineers to support the function, but not just, you know, let the function totally dictate the user experience or the ergonomics or the aesthetics. And then, as part of that project, I also got to travel to China a lot, and I saw really, for the first time how how the sausage is made. Like really being on the factory floor, seeing the parts get molded, seeing them come off the line, talking with people, um, and I I speak uh decent enough Mandarin Chinese, so communicating with people directly that were making the products mm. and understanding what their concerns were, and just a whole different culture of working in uh in a factory overseas compared to a design studio in in uh, San Francisco. So I really learned a lot from that project and every challenge I think was a, an opportunity to learn more about industrial design, learn more about working with people and also learn about how products are made. Mm.
0: Yeah, I think that's very important going, actually going to the uh, manufacturing plants and working out how things are done, not just from a technical level, not just from a software level, but actually from like a physical level. Because I feel like if you're in if you're on the space, it's a lot easier to design for it if you know how it's being done on the spot, especially at scale okay. as well. Like especially with injection molding, I think a lot of like students you can only learn so much from like watching YouTube videos, but you need to actually be on site to observe it.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Um, I believe that you have recently made a career move. As you mentioned, you're moving into more um of a freelance work environment. If I understand correctly.
1: Yeah, I I don't like to refer to it as a freelance gig because it's really not a freelance gig. Hmm. Um freelancer at least in some uses of the word sort of implies like someone that gets contract work from like a a studio or another company and you know you're kind of whenever you are needed, you you get a call and then you're you know you have an hourly rate and you do the work and you get paid. Mm. But really I I see myself more as a independent designer or perhaps a one person agency because I'm going out to get the clients, I talk to the clients, I scope the projects, I sell the work and and I also do the work. Mm. So I'm sort of a more of a one man agency than a freelancer and I think freelancer, you know, rightly or wrongly comes with some connotations of being, you know, low cost or less, uh, you know, less stability or Mm. perhaps, um, um, you kind of, your clients can kind of turn you on and off like a tap. And I, I'm really trying to work on more of a a project basis, Mm. do whole end-to-end product development and, and not do kind of piecemeal freelance work. Not to say that there's anything wrong with that, you know, like Mm. everyone has different needs in their career. Everyone's Mm. at a different stage. So it might make sense for someone to be doing work like that. And it's a great way to gain experience because you get exposed to a lot of different kinds of jobs Mm. and different companies, depending on how many uh, companies you freelance with. But um, yeah, that's, that's like a little bit of a semantic difference that I would point out.
0: What type of organizations are you looking to, uh, and projects are you looking to be a part of with your, your activities?
1: So really it's in line with what I said earlier, it's technology companies and companies looking to ship products that involve some kind of novel technology that has to have some kind of user experience figured out, has some sort of aesthetic requirement maybe has uh, some complex functionality that needs to integrate with those aforementioned um, uh, parts of the the product. So it's really kind of technological products that that I can really sink my teeth into and design around. Mm,
0: okay. um, your blog style post on LinkedIn is actually why I originally found out about you. Um I remember when I was a student I used to follow along and some of the insights were really interesting. How did that come about? How did you end up getting into that?
1: Well, last year when I, you know, when I was uh transitioning out of my partnership uh, partnership position at Bold Design, I I kind of realized that you know, <laughs> in the internet age there are all these platforms that you can broadcast yourself on and you know back back in the day you know maybe 10 20 years ago you kind of needed to be a famous designer to have your name out there but now you can just be you know you can be anyone and you can be broadcasting yourself on these platforms like linkedin instagram etc so i saw an opportunity for myself to put myself out there because also I had been working at a company for 10 years Uh, It's a company that I'm very proud of. And um, I feel like I contributed a lot to, but at the end of the day, I needed people. If I was to survive on my own, I Mm. also needed people to know my, my name. Mm. And another thing that was happening on the internet is that, you know, again, like maybe 10, 20 years ago, like people really only cared about celebrities and, you know, famous people, like people that are top of their field. And I, you know, I am none of those things. I'm not a celebrity. Um, but another trend that's happening on the internet is that content creators are rising up from just being normal people. Mm. Like any, any normal person can say something or, you know, have a message and, if it connects with people, people will pay attention and they'll also, you know, they'll also get to know you. And that, you know, probably in the early 2000s, if you told someone like, oh, like in 20 years, people are gonna be like pointing cameras at themselves and like, you know, talking about, you know, oat milk or whatever. And, you know, these are just gonna be normal people with other jobs and they're just going to be talking into their phones Mm. which are going to have amazing cameras in them and like thousands or hundreds of thousands or even millions of people are going to be listening to them talk about oat milk or concept
0: of TikTok is crazy like it's just these minute clips that people just scroll through endlessly it's
1: crazy. And it's it's the same thing on on uh, LinkedIn or Instagram Mm. you're you're just putting your message out there and you know if you know what you're talking about if you have something to talk about and i did have something to talk about i had been an industrial designer for 10 years so i kind of knew what industrial designers were interested in and um i had a need to sort of put myself out there so that i could start not just getting you know getting work but also to connect with the design community and to have interesting conversations with people like yourself and also to kind of share what I'd learned along the way. And at first I I really had no expectation. I was just, you know, I was looking at other people that were doing it, other people on LinkedIn and other people on Twitter and Instagram. And I was like, well, if they can do it, why not me? Hmm. I'll, uh, I'll give it a shot. So I put some stuff out there. I just was consistent with it. Some of the early stuff was probably pretty bad, but over time, just by posting every day for a few for a few months people started to take notice and people started to tell me that they found my content interesting they found it valuable and people are reaching out to me to get advice to talk, have conversations just to connect and sometimes even offer offer me business and work that I could actually make money from mm. so yeah it was all a big experiment and uh it kind of paid off so that's how it started and that's how it's continuing
0: Mm. I think even for students as well like there's a bit of a disconnect between student life and professional life and I feel like a lot of students feel like they don't really like have the um they don't have like everything they need to get into professional life but I feel like a lot of your a lot of your um posts like when I read them, I was like, oh, I just need to hear this right now. Like, it's like, like, I'm trying to think of a specific one. I think one about like portfolios I was reading and I was like, oh, this is exactly what I need to hear. Like, it's just, it's good information for someone who's writing their portfolio up. Um And yeah, so I feel like in that way, like a lot of students probably are in the same boat as me and they, um, like your little, like some, like for you, it probably doesn't take that much time, but like the effect it would have on the community is, you know, a lot more than the time you're taking. Hmm.
1: Yeah, and I think back to when I was a student, uh, You know, there were no, you know, obviously, Twitter was a thing, Instagram was a thing, but it wasn't sort of this community of people exchanging information. Mm. And I really, I was in the same boat, I didn't have a lot of information about what professionals really wanted to see from me, like, you know, I feel like I was barking up the wrong tree a lot of the time. My professors, you know, as, as much as they tried, they were not, they were not particularly plugged into the industry anymore, mm. and uh, there was not a lot of sound career advice or just help in getting a job, mm. even at my design school, which was supposedly one of the top design schools in the country, and, you know, if, if that's the situation at one of the top design schools, then every other school must be struggling as well.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think there is a bit of a disconnect between um, teachers who have the career knowledge and don't. But um, in my in my university, they were they all were pretty pretty up to date with um career knowledge. But I think still there's just there is like a it's it's very competitive design, and I feel like you're not really like kind of prepared for how competitive it is necessarily in university. Like they're like, oh, it's alright, find like what you like and like make a job out of it. But I think maybe like sometimes like more realistic knowledge would be better like actually yeah. just preparing students for like, it's going to be hard. You're going to have to like do things that you don't want to do to get there because like, you can't just do what you want to do because there isn't always going to be a job for it. Kind of thing. <laughs> like it'd be. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. And, and one thing I try to do is give specific tips and specific knowledge, like not trying to talk about things in like these generalities. Mm. I'm really just, I'm trying to tell you specifically what I think and what, I think professionals are looking for and Mm. how students can make themselves more marketable. Um, That's not to say I'm like the authority on everything. Like people should always do their own research and figure it out for themselves, but hopefully I'm adding useful, uh, useful information to the mix. Mm. Yeah. Cool.
0: Um, What topics do you usually cover in your posts? Like um in general or maybe what are the ones that had the most um were were best received by the community?
1: Uh, my, you know, I don't have really a very specific niche. Mm. I, the, I mean, the one thing that connects all of my content is design. So yeah. it's always going to be about design in some way. I think the things that tend to resonate the most with people in the community are portfolio tips and like career advice for students or young yep. professionals and i think that's just because of how hungry people are for that yep. kind of information because yep. when you're in that when you're in that situation you're really trying to gather as much insight as you can so you can put your best foot forward
0: so yeah, that... naturally
1: that that stuff plays the best um i also just write about my own experiences sometimes and uh, sometimes that'll strike a chord with some random people um another thing that i think plays well is like just observations about design or design around us you know in the world around us Um, people, even non-designers get interested by stuff like that. Like I did a post about a toothbrush that I found. And I think that's like one of my top performing posts because people just, you know, most people walk through the world, not really thinking that much about the stuff around them. So, Mm. you know, when they see something there, you know, when they see something on LinkedIn, that makes them think Mm. a little bit more deeply about. The physical world around them sometimes that can be interesting Mm.
0: yeah i think to someone who's not a designer it's really weird to start thinking about like everything around them like that like in that way like picking up an object thinking about how it was made thinking about why it was made like that what like process was taken to think to bring that into fruition like to a non-designer that sounds like some very um dystopian concept but to a designer it just seems like normal and I feel like like when you start moving towards that thinking, even as a student, then your designs really improve because you you start thinking about things in more
1: depth, yeah, I think that's absolutely true because design is not just about the doing, it's also about the observing. It's about you know insights about human behavior and mm-hmm. how people interact with objects and information. So just observing the world around you and consciously taking notes in your head about why things are the way they are or you know what what about certain objects uh, is appealing to you or not appealing to you or why something you know why you really love using this thing and not that thing. Mm-hmm. Those are all very important observations that people uh, designers hopefully are are making.
0: Mm. yeah Um. over the course of the career of your career how have you absorbed how have you observed design evolving
1: so I think specifically in my product categories and in the stuff that I've worked on it is the merging of the physical and the digital experiences mm. like when, when I started, it was just starting to become very common that most things, you know, most electronics that you would buy would have some kind of app that came with it. Mm. And more and more things now have that, even like very basic stuff. Everything has an app um but also more and more hardware products are incorporating some sort of digital interface mm. like you know your car has a touch screen your coffee maker might have a touch screen these days mm. so i think the big trend is the merging of physical and digital design and the erosion of the barrier between them which makes it so much more valuable and so much more uh, important for industrial designers to also understand digital design Mm. and for digital designers to have some understanding of what physical design is. So I think that's the big trend. I think uh, over the past few years, there's been more... I mean, every few years, this question of sustainability Mm. comes up and then people get all excited about it. And then eventually it sort of disappears into a sea of greenwashing. But it does seem like these days people are more serious about it. Like Mm. brands are more serious about it. Like very big brands are actually incorporating it into their products like how do you design for circularity, designing for repair. Mm. There's also more legislation around those kinds of things like you know in Europe especially like things I think the right to repair has made it a lot further than in the US. Mm. But you know these these things are important for designers and and non-designers to consider as we continue to design and make things because we can't just expect to continue putting stuff out into the world without any consequence mm. um
0: have you been put into that situation in your career um cuz i mean i don't want to over generalize but i feel like consumer electronics is probably one of the biggest contributors to e-waste well to not e-waste to waste in general like in in the product design space um have you been put into a situation where you have to basically um, not take a job because it's going to be like inherently terrible for the environment like a single use product or is that not something that you generally consider in your practice
1: uh for me personally that you know as my own business that hasn't come up yet i've only been doing it for a few months but in my past uh company you know we did turn down things that we didn't think needed to exist yeah and like tchotchkes and like little things that were one-time use like we didn't tend to do products like that. We did products that we felt really added value to people's lives and had some, you know, decently long lifespan. And uh, we didn't want to be just putting junk out into the world. And one way, one way that you can do that is by working on things that last a really long time. Like Mm -hmm. I have a Nest thermostat on my wall. That's, over 10 years old so yeah. that's a piece of electronics consumer electronics that you know consumer electronics usually have a lifespan of like two years mm. but that's been on my wall for 10 years so mm. that yeah. that is one way to approach sustainability yeah
0: yeah i think like with these days with sustainability people get too hung up in the fact that everything needs to be recyclable i mean it is it is good to make things recyclable but i feel like that's one thing that people don't think about is just creating products that just last longer is automatically is inherently going to make the products more sustainable because they're going to last longer. Whereas like, if you just only focus on things that are biodegradable, it could actually have a detriment to the industry um, because the products just wouldn't last longer. And then you've got to make more of them. So I feel like it's yeah. like kind of leveraging the both of them. Like, for example, like you've got like, you've got like film cameras, this one's like, this one's like nineties and it still works perfectly. Um, whereas like these days a modern like dslr could last i don't think like not all like some of them wouldn't even last 10 years
1: yeah so and also if you make everything biodegradable that's not necessarily the answer because what what you also have to consider is the system around that product like just because it is biodegradable doesn't mean it's going to be Mm. Uh, you know, put into the right processing facility to get turned back into biomaterial. Yeah. It, you know, it's highly likely that it's just going to end up in the landfill like everything right. else where things don't biodegrade. So, you know, I think companies are, are thinking a lot more about end of life and right. how things get taken back in or, you know, recycled or repurposed as part of the product's ecosystem, not just right. as a problem that, Someone else in a far off country has to deal with.
0: Yeah, exactly. This comes back to the concept of greenwashing, I suppose. Like in Australia, here we have, we used to send all of our recycling to China to to get yeah. them to recycle it, and then like China yeah. was like, we're not taking it anymore. So then, like now, yeah. almost like I think twenty percent of our recycling is recycled, and the rest of it just goes into the landfill. Don't quote me on those statistics because it might have changed, but I know a couple of years ago when I looked, that was what it was, and it's just like like what yeah. is the point of even recycling if it's mostly just going to go into landfill anyway it's just crazy
1: yeah it's the same in america
0: yeah so like this is what you're talking it's a system-wide issue it's not necessarily a product issue and yeah like a lot of these i think the problem with the modern sustainability movement is a lot of the time they act like it's the consumer's fault and like i feel like a lot of the time it's not necessarily the consumer's fault it's like on a larger scale than the consumer, it's the businesses, it's the governments, it's the people setting up these, like, logistic systems for, re- for like, sustainability. They're, they're, yeah. That's, like, more, it's going to have more of an impact on the consumer and, like, yeah. the decisions of the consumer than, like, a pure decision of the consumer, whether they buy that or not.
1: Yeah, if it's really going to change, it can't be left up to the individual decisions of billions of people. Yeah. It has to be, it has to be something bigger than that.
0: Exactly yeah no I think sustainability is a bit of a um rabbit hole you can go down and like you can you find that it's a very hard decision at the end on what to do hmm. yeah. um as in terms of key trends in industrial design that are shaping the industry right now um what what trends and technologies do you think that designers really need to watch out for um in order to stay up to date in the future
1: well, the obvious one is. AI. That's the you know elephant in the room. I personally don't think AI is going to replace designers anytime soon. Yeah. Because right now it has AI has very limited the AI image making tools like Mid Journey or Dolly or something like that. They have very limited understanding of the external context. They don't understand ergonomics, they don't understand the user, they don't understand any of that stuff. What they are good for is crunching lots of visual data and spitting out, you know, decent options depending on how you control it. Uh, But it's not not very steerable, Mm. like you can't really control it that finely. And I think the people that get really, or some people that get really drawn to those kinds of tools are people that were not creative to begin with. Like they didn't know how to draw. They don't know how to like, you know, manipulate visual aesthetics on their own. So they found this tool that works really well to sort of spit out ideas for them. But I think a lot of designers actually, like myself, might find that using these tools is, they're pretty frustrating because they never quite do what you want and it's really hard to say control it and it it is getting better all the time Mm. and uh, you know a year ago or six months ago nobody, nobody dreamed that we would be where we are now so
0: that's the crazy thing I'm finding is the speed at which things are changing
1: yeah, so I think, you know, the people that say, oh, it's all doom and gloom, like these robots are going to take your design jobs within the next year. That's probably not going to happen. Mm-hmm. But I do think these tools, in one way or another, are going to make their way into a design workflow. And it's probably at first going to most impact those stages of the process where you're Crunching a lot of data and trying to generate a lot of output quickly. So, I think the important thing for designers is to be aware of these tools, to Mm. experiment with them, to try them out. Don't rely on them. Like, I think you still need, at least right now, you still need to, you need to sort of be the art director. And in order to do that, you need to have strong design fundamentals, like you need mm. to understand form, you need to understand proportion, like color, material. Even ergonomics. even history.
0: I was thinking, even design history is very important. Yeah.
1: Even understand. design history, because so. you need to know, you know, whether something you're doing with AI is looking like, you know, whether it's just a complete ripoff of something else, or mm. whether it looks modern or like retro is it deliberately retro Mm. what are you what are you actually trying to achieve with the tool so i think there is value to trying the tools and to keeping up to date with them i can't you know i can't predict where we'll be in another six months Mm. at least right now i don't think they're taking over our industry fully Mm. But I do see them as part of the future of design. I just don't quite know what yet, like how they're going to integrate fully. Mm.
0: Obviously, this is a bit past our both. I think both of our um, what's it called, career. Uh, but basically, when like I've heard when CAD came out, it was kind of like you either adopt it or you you fall behind. Like some of the people didn't adopt it and they really struggled to stay relevant because they were doing everything by hand. And then there's some, the people who did adopt it kind of move forward. Um, and I feel like it's potential that it could be like that with, with AI at some point, like, if you don't like, it's not like it's going to take your job, but if you don't, if you, if you're like, no, I'm not going to use it. I only use the traditional industrial design, um, you know, techniques. And and then someone else adopts it. They're going to have like a, like a head up against you. Like, I think that's could That could be a possible future.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. I think CAD is a good analogy. I think you know KeyShot and other fast rendering mm-hmm. software is a, is a good analogy. Like, you know, marker rendering is almost a obsolete skill at this point. Mm-hmm. I mean, some people still do it because they enjoy it because it gives their work a little bit of flair, but you can visualize things so quickly in 3D now. That's also been a, I think, a fundamental change to the industry.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's it's I suppose it's kind of sad, but like when things progress, some things get left behind. Um, and like what is defined as an industrial designer does evolve to some degree over time. Mm. Um, in terms of VR, do you think VR is going to become integral in design? I think, like in terms of industrial design, I feel like there's definitely you can definitely see where it could fit into. Um, like someone to create a process, especially from a remote working perspective. um but yeah, what are your thoughts on it?
1: I think v r is very useful for some certain projects, mm. like things that have to be full scale. I've used v r in several professional projects or big stuff, like big robots or like big you know building scale type stuff. And it's it's gotten so good. And like, you know, Keyshot has an amazing VR plugin. Mm. You can really feel like you're immersed in the world and standing next to what you've designed. Um, I think I haven't experimented with other, you know, VR generation tools like uh, what's that tool called? Gravity Sketch. Sure. But I have seen other designers use it to great effect, like they're mm-hmm. sketching out designs in VR and mm-hmm. then taking them into CAD after that. And I think you know, these are all tools. They mm-hmm. they all just help you get closer to the process, to what you're doing. And I think if it fits in with your process then you should absolutely dive into it and use mm. it however you see fit i think it it definitely helps to expose yourself to as many of those tools as you can as a young professional because you might end up using it as part of your job or it might be a very marketable skill for you mm. like if you you know if you wanted to work in transportation design or something like I think gravity sketch is becoming quite a useful tool in that even footwear design uh, as well. Yeah. Product category. So those are, you know, they're definitely, I think VR is a very valuable tool, but it kind of depends on what you're doing. Like if you're, Mm. you know, if you're doing like consumer electronics that kind of sit on a desktop, there's not a huge ton of value to mm. seeing that. I think, I think it's better to just do a 3d print and then put it on your desk.
0: Yeah. So yeah, I think for, yeah. for more consumer electronics and yeah, smaller product design categories apart from shoes, because for some reason for shoes, it seems to work really well. Um, I think that we'll probably still stick with like things like Rhino and things like that for more paramet for more um, you know, free flowing surface yeah. finishes, because I think that it's just never going to get to the point where you could, actually manufacture the things that are in there
1: yeah i don't think you would use them as a yeah you know a tool to create manufacturable designs Mm -hmm. but you can capture like the emotion or the gesture of something and then use cad tools like rhino or solidworks Mm -hmm. to then translate those gestures into real designs
0: yeah do you think that it's going to open up possibilities for remote work within the field because currently industrial design is not really many people doing um, successful remote work, it's generally seen as something you'd do in person?
1: I think remote work is here to stay, obviously, after the pandemic. I think for industrial designers and other physical disciplines like mechanical engineering or something, it does pose some challenges, like Mm. not being able to just gather around the same object and Mm. discuss it. I think VR certainly... Can be a tool to be used there. I think there will be, you know, more hybrid approaches to doing design. And I think many companies, my my own included, um, when I was still at bold design, we found that you actually need to meet in person less than you think. Mm. You just need to meet to review prototypes and look at things physically. Uh, but I, I would say that just because you can do it doesn't mean you have to or you mm. should do it. I actually prefer working in person with people. Mm. It just it's more fun. It feels like you're actually connecting with people. It's not like there's always this screen behind you or between you. Mm. So I think there'll definitely be more remote and hybrid opportunities for industrial designers these days, but whether you take them on is really a matter of personal preference, I think. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I think it could be interesting, but in the future, like for example, me flying to you isn't necessarily the easiest venture um, because of the distance. So, like we could collaborate over over the internet easily with VR, well, easier than before, like than like previously with a phone call. Um, I think that I think for something like that, it could really open up. But yeah, I see what you mean. Like if you have the option, it's definitely better to be in person. Hmm. yeah um what are some advice you'd give to young designers who are trying to land their first consultancy gig or maybe even just any design gig in general um and what are some skills or qualities that they should focus on developing
1: so i think my one big piece of advice for young designers trying to get their first job is really be specific about what you're targeting, who you're targeting. What is it that they do? What's their design aesthetic? What does their process look like? What kinds of marketing materials do they put out there? And then try as best as you can to make your work match that kind of work. Hmm. You need, you need to basically put their website, next to your portfolio, and you need to convincingly be able to fit in to that lineup. So if someone were to come by and look at their website and your portfolio, it needs to be within the realm of believability that you could work there Mm. and you could do this kind of work. Because that is what design people who are hiring designers, that's what they're looking for. Mm. They're looking at the kind of work that they do every day. And they're trying to see, can you do that kind of work? So mm. this, is, this is something that I think students need to kind of have a mindset shift on. A lot of times when I was reviewing portfolios, I would see work that was very much clearly driven by the you know, their specific program or their own specific interests. But it didn't look like anything that that our company was doing
0: mm. on
1: a daily basis. So I think the mindset shift is you need to look externally and you need to look at your work from the outside in mm. and you you can't just look at your work from the inside out. Like, this is what my school told me to do. This is what I thought was interesting you need to look at these companies that you want to work at and say, what are they looking for? And really try to understand that and then push your work in that direction.
0: Mm. Yeah. I feel like, well, if you, I mean, from your experience, if you hire someone who doesn't line up with that, like they might not necessarily communicate the values or the, even the design aesthetic that the these consultancies is operating under. Mm. Yeah.
1: It's, you know, hiring is always a risk. People might not work out. It's expensive to hire people. You know, turnover is expensive. So if I'm hiring, I'm really going to look for the person that represents the lowest risk. And that usually means the person that does work the most similar to what I'm doing on a daily Mm -hmm. basis.
0: Yeah. I feel like one thing I've noticed as well, a lot of organizations specifically, I don't know if it's the same overseas, but in Australia are looking for people who are gonna be able to work for many years and not just like leave after six months to a year. Cause I feel like with design, there's like the trap, like everyone wants to constantly, you know, level up in in design and become a better designer and get as much experience as they can. But like a lot of organizations, they don't want people to just like, you know, as you're saying, the hiring process is hard. They don't wanna be hiring designers every six months to a year. So I think communicating that you're gonna really put some time in, stick around and work hard in the organization, like really organizations like that.
1: Yeah. At the same time though, there are no guarantees. Mm, yeah. Like at least in the US, it's you know, it's employment at will. Like mm. you can you can say you're gonna be there for two years, but you can leave after two days yeah. if you wanted to. Um, I'm not sure how it is in Australia, but you know. I think there needs to be a reasonable expectation on both sides that like I'm going to, you know, me as the applicant, I'm going to stick around long enough to learn and make an impact. Mm. And also on the employer side, there needs to be some offering as well. Like I'm going to give you development opportunities and I'm going to teach you things so that you can be a valuable member of the organization for like you know, at least one or two years. I would say mm. that's that's kind of a minimum. Break,
0: yeah, yeah exactly. Impact. Yeah. Um, what are some skills that you see designers lacking, um, in your professional practice, and maybe when you are hiring, you see, when you see young designers getting into the industry, what are they missing?
1: Um, I think, I think a lot of designers, myself included, when I started uh, my career they are lacking in form development. I think a lot of emphasis in design education over the last 10, 20 years has shifted over to research and problem solving and sort of design thinking type of stuff. And a lot of the, uh, a lot of the aesthetics and form development and the beauty side of things has maybe gotten lost. And that was definitely true of my education and my work. So when I got into this company and started doing real design work, I, I found out how much I was lacking in that department and how much I had to learn just by working with professional designers. So I think people need to not only focus on the problem solving, they also need to focus on the aesthetics, the marketability, and the just the beauty of, mm. of objects. Um, another thing that I think young designers really need to focus on is uh, working with other disciplines. A lot of times as a, a designer, you're working with engineers and people who work in marketing and business people, I, I think, you you're so immersed in design and design school. Like you kind of forget how to talk to other people. Mm. And I think one of the things that I really learned in the first few years of my career is like really understanding what other people's problems are. Like it's the same as a design process. When you're working with people, you have to understand them, you know, as if they're the user Mm. they're the user of your design work. Yeah. You need to understand what they care about, what the problems they face are, and how you can talk to them and communicate the value of what you do. Mm. So it's not just about doing great design work and kind of putting it out there and saying like, you know, here it is. It's really about collaborating with people and talking to people and understanding their needs and then being able to talk about the value of what you're doing in terms that they'll understand. Mm. so i think those are kind of big areas that students and young professionals could focus on
0: yeah i mean it's it always comes back to that communicating the value of design i feel like that's like something that's always mentioned on my podcast and i mean it's it, you would think at this point we've like beat that battle um after all these people who've come before us who've been fighting that fight but there's still people out there who don't see the value of design so i suppose yeah. like telling like the next generation or like even my generation coming into design um we need to continue to like kind of convince people of the value and like the only way we can convince that is by doing good work and and showing the success of our work
1: yeah and i don't think that's ever going to end like it's never mm. going to be a job that's going to be done mm. like any any profession any skill set you need to go around telling people why it matters yeah like you know i used to do all my own taxes i didn't know why anyone would Bother having an accountant, but then I started being part of a business, and then like you know, the value of an accountant became Mm. very (laughs) clear to me. And I didn't have that mindset before, but now I gladly pay an accountant to do my taxes for me. So it's the same thing. Like as a designer, you can't just go around expecting people to just understand what it is you do and Mm. why it matters. You need to actually inform them and give them the time to get educated and come around to your way of seeing things. Mm. And you also need to understand what they're about and you need to sort of absorb what they, you know, their way of seeing things as well.
0: Yeah. And what, what value design specifically poses to them as well so that they can communicate it. Mm.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Um, What do you think are the biggest challenges in industrial design currently and how are we going to work to overcome them?
1: Well, I think the biggest one we already kind of talked about is sustainability. Mm. And how are we going to overcome that? I have no idea. I mean, I have some ideas. Like, I think we talked a little bit about regulation and, you know, it really has to be more of a systemic change. It can't just be sort of this grassroots thing. I think bigger companies need to start taking it more seriously and making it a part of their product offering and some of them are and uh hopefully people start making more responsible choices as well but again it can't just be that it has to be sort of more top-down change yeah. Yeah, um, the
0: as well it bring, it's bringing design into more of like a political level as well i feel like that could have like bringing bringing people with design thinking like design ex designers or people who are associated with designers into that level of of governance so that they can make more systemic changes um based on like our ideology
1: yeah yeah another big thing that i think is an issue in design and has always been is diversity i think the at least in the US the design Industrial design is overwhelmingly male, and it's yeah. overwhelmingly white males. And uh, I was involved in the uh, Industrial Designers Society of America Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Council mm. uh, for about two years. And um, I did some data collection and analysis for them. And really, it's still a huge problem. Mm. Um And why is it a problem? Well, I think diversity in design is a diversity of thought is leads to better products and more inclusive products Mm -hmm. and more users needs can be met. So, you know, it's not just racial, it's also um, abled and, you know, differently abled or disabled. There's also designing for different age groups. You know, I think diversity in the people who are doing the design mm. is important for addressing these um, different groups and making sure that they're also getting some fair treatment yeah. in terms of having products that are available to them and products that are uh, useful to them. Mm.
0: Just a note on that, if there's any uh, willing female designers out there who'd like to come on the podcast, please reach out as I am looking for, I'm looking to, I haven't even had a female designer on yet. This is this is the problem exactly. And I had someone lined up and unfortunately she's on maternity leave. So she's not, she's too busy at the moment. So hopefully um, when she's done, she can come on. But, but yeah, this is the issue, I suppose we need to create diversity, like 50% of the population, uh, I don't know what the, what the exact percentage is, are female and Like, we don't even have any near that percentage of designers that are female. So, how can we design successfully for females if we don't have any idea?
1: You know? (laughs) Yeah. And actually, I think that is not true in some other design disciplines. Like, I think in graphic design or like design research, Mm. the proportion of female designers is much higher. Mm. So, there's something about industrial design that is not conducive to women being an equal part of the workforce and yeah. you know I you know we can speculate on what that is like you know industrial design is kind of a boys club and mm. you know it's power tools and like you know being in the shop and all that but there's no reason that it can't be a a welcoming environment for for women so yeah, exactly I think I think that was something that that we took very seriously at my last company at Bold design we You know, we tried very hard to have an equitable number of female designers. Like Mm. it wasn't, you know, it wasn't 50-50 because the demographics of the industry are what they are, but I think it was, it was pretty, pretty high compared Mm. to most other working environments.
0: Yeah. I think a big contributor as well is like, even just the nature of the, when you're, when you're learning as a child like the male toys are Lego and all these toys that you have to build and construct and Meccano and, you know, whereas the female toys are like Barbies where you put the clothes on the Barbie and I don't know, things like that. So I suppose like from a beginning, they're almost like preconditioned not to be industrial designers.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: And yeah, I mean, it's something we're gonna have to work through. Cause I think like, even when you're saying from a form and um, visual perspective, like women have a really good eye for detail and and really like men, men are always inherently g- good at um what's it called like working at how things go together probably because of these childhood toys but there's like a real advantage of women um in in terms of form and like knowing what what looks good to some degree like my girlfriend always comes over when i'm designing things it always goes like you need to change this small detail and it always has such an impact um and i feel like like we we should be working together as designers because the output would probably be so much better
1: yeah yeah i think that's absolutely true we need to be working together but i would also say that even those traits that you just mentioned are sort Mm. of generalizations that's 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 not necessarily how men and women are different like men and women are different but Mm. you know i've i've definitely worked with women who are good at putting things together and like figuring out how things work and i've Mm. also worked with men who have very strong sensitivity to details and form. Mm. So, I think one of the things that we have to do is shed those preconceived notions about mm. who's good at what, yeah. and just be open minded about people as they are, as as talent mm. and designers. Well, and
0: and just complement each other as well in whatever way that is. Like just work together to complement each other. Yeah. 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 No, I think I think it's going to be interesting in the future. I know um there's a few agencies in Australia that have really worked to improve diversity, like um clandestine design group they have, have have a few very successful female designers and yeah it's it's going to be interesting to see the future um what do you think the future of design looks like industrial design looks like um and there are any new technologies that you see becoming integral I know you already mentioned AI but like what yeah basically how do you see industrial design in the next five to ten years
1: um well I think Earlier we talked about the digital and physical experiences kind of melding together. I think that's mm. going to keep happening. Uh I think it really helps when industrial designers learn about digital design. Mm. Like I'm not saying every industrial designer needs to also do digital design like it's not it's not that you know it's just like every industrial designer doesn't also need to do engineering. Mm. It's just that you need to understand like what their workflow is and how you can work with them and how you can work together to provide a great user experience. Because at the end of the day, your user doesn't care who Mm. did what they don't care about the UI designer, like cared about pixels and the industrial designer cared about atoms. They just care Mm. that the thing that they got actually works really well. And there's Mm. not this like weird barrier between physical and digital. I think you can always tell when like those two disciplines didn't really talk to each other because like, you know, you can have like, you know, cameras are a great example, like digital cameras, they have mostly terrible UIs. Mm -hmm. Like even if the physical ergonomics are really great, but like the menu system is like totally garbage. Mm -hmm. You know, it's obvious like these teams didn't really interact. And it was kind of like, one thing was set, like one thing was prioritized and then the other one was left to deal with it. Mm. So I think collaboration between physical and digital design is only going to hopefully get better. I think uh, technologies, we've already talked about VR and AI and all that stuff, probably 3D printing as well Mm. is going to be part of the future of design like 3D printers are just getting more and more affordable and like there's more and more potential to be using them as manufacturing tools rather than just prototyping tools and you see you know you see brands like Gantry they make 3D printed lights mm. like they're really starting to create products from 3D printed goods mm. and they're not just doing it to make prototypes and there are many benefits to doing that like they don't have to keep things in stock they don't have to have huge warehouses where they're just stocking bunch like tons and tons of mm. lights they make it they can make stuff to order mm. might not be as fast uh, as like Amazon getting something next day or in two days but mm. you know you get something that's really unique or really beautiful and you know, it's more sustainable in that way because you're only making things that people actually want and mm. you're not wasting tons of space storing things or tons of energy transporting stuff around the globe mm. so i think that's an exciting development like you know 10 years ago when i i was a 3d printing tech at my school uh, this would have been 15 years ago at this point and like 3D printing was so unreliable and so expensive at that point that it wasn't, you know, you couldn't really see how this could ever be a useful technology beyond like 3D printing prototypes in a lab. But, you know, now you can get very good 3D printers for very little money. Mm. Yeah,
0: it's it's really crazy how fast it's evolved.
1: Mm. Yeah.
0: What are some ethical considerations that you think designers sh- should take when they create then when they create products going forward?
1: So I think one thing that that I always try to think about is does this need to exist and does yep. this align with my values like do I want to be creating this like if I didn't, if a client didn't approach me with this project, would, would it be something I do of my own accord? Mm. So, you know, sometimes clients, potential clients have approached, um, approached me like at my past company to design something to do with weapons. And mm-hmm. that's not something that I think I want to work on. So we turn down that business um you know sometimes we've been approached to design something you know just things that are not in line with our values and we turn them away so mm-hmm. i think that's always something an ethical question that you have to ask yourself do you want to be part of bringing this into the world mm-hmm. or do you not want to and is it something that you're willing to just do for the money? Or do you, you know, would you feel okay with having put this out into the universe? Mm. Um, You know, another thing there as designers, there are things that you can influence, but you might not have a lot of say over like, you know, of course, there's always things like, The sustainability aspect, of course, like has ethical implications. Like the material has to come from somewhere. It ends up somewhere, usually in a country much poorer than where you're living. Mm. Um, And I think those are hard questions. I don't have good solutions to them. Like, you know, inherently certain making things is part of an inequitable system hmm. so those all are the time, like this is a hard questions
0: The, the system's not even set up as well sorry to interrupt like the this is yeah. for, for example um one of the uh, neil was talking about how he's setting up sustainable um resource systems in china um because like for example there's like specific resource he wanted to make um his you know clients products out of but it wasn't even available in china because they just don't have the infrastructure for it so he had to like basically set up that infrastructure so that they, there was a sustainable product, um, material option. So it's like, I suppose that's kind of like taking the next step to make these things happen. Like it isn't always easy, but like sometimes you actually have to go out of your way to establish that system.
1: Yeah, yeah. If that's where your passion is, then definitely pursue it.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, Just to finish up, what are some of the most important lessons that you've learned over the course of your career as an industrial designer? And what advice would you give to designers who are just starting out?
1: Uh, I posted this on LinkedIn at least once or twice, but I think the biggest lesson is, you know, when you're just starting out, your job is to make someone else's job easier. That's actually something my mom told me. And, you know, if you're like, a hotshot designer coming out of school and you think you know everything and you know, you, you're trying to impress everyone with your like skills. It can be hard for you to actually add value to an organization that you've just joined when you have that mentality. But if you adopt a mentality of making yourself useful, helping, you know, seeing, observing the work around you and Mm -hmm. seeing, what it is people need help with, and they might not always be able to tell you, you might need to just observe and see for yourself, Mm. and then offering to help in those ways. Eventually, people will start to see you as a valuable resource, and they'll come to you with things that are more interesting, things that are more challenging, Mm. and they'll hopefully teach you things along the way. But it all has to start with you taking an interest in other people and what their needs are. It's kind of like what we talked about before, like, how do you get the job? You you see what these companies need and you try and present yourself as a good option. Mm. Even when you're in the company, you know you should try to observe what people need and try to make yourself a useful option. And that isn't always design work. Like, you know, when I started, when I started out as an intern at Bold Design, you know, I spent a day cleaning out the storeroom Mm. because that's what needed to be done. And that's fine. Like, you're still doing it in the service of being part of a design studio. Mm. But, you know, if you approach, you know, say you approach that task with like, oh, this is beneath me. Like, I don't want to do it. Like, I was paid to be a designer. I'm not, you know, I didn't go to four years of design school to move boxes around. Like, people are going to notice if you have that attitude and they're going to probably not want to work with you as much. Mm. So I think that's the biggest piece of advice. Go in with a good attitude and make yourself useful and try to make people's jobs easier. Mm.
0: Yeah, really good advice. Well, thank you, Anson. And yeah, I would recommend anyone you know wanting some extra advice in industrial design, if whether you're a student or a seasoned professional, to check out his LinkedIn. I, I found it really, really interesting myself. And yeah, I think you will too. Thank you. And I hope you have a good day, mate.
1: Yeah, thanks so much, Roman. It's been great to be on. Cheers,
0: mate. Have a good one.